Welcome to the Incluvi Movie Podcast, where we talk about all things media and diversity. I'm Matthew Stiuso. And I'm Dara Eleazar. For today's podcast, we're going to be discussing the movie Nomadland, Chloe Zhao's award-winning film starring Frances McDormand. But before that, we're going to get into our pop culture moment and talk about what's new and trending in entertainment. Now that the Golden Globes are wrapped up, it's time to get to the Academy Awards. This week, the nominees for the 93rd Academy Awards were announced, and many of this year's nominations were historic. For the first time ever, two women were nominated for the category of Best Director, being Chloe Zhao for Nomadland and Emerald Fennell for Promising Young Woman. Regina King's absence from the category has been noted by me, but this is still a monumental moment for these two directors, and I really feel like Chloe Zhao is going to take this one home. Yeah, I think she's a really strong contender, and we're going to get into why in a little bit. But first, we do want to highlight Stephen Yun and Riz Ahmed, whose performances in Minari and Sound of Metal earned them lead actor nominations, making Yun the first Asian-American actor and Ahmed the first Muslim actor to be nominated in this category. They are joined in the category by the late Chadwick Boseman for his performance in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Although it's very exciting to see Asian representation in so many categories, we do want to take the time to address the recent surge in violence committed against Asian Americans, particularly the recent instance in Atlanta. Our goal on this podcast is to highlight the beauty of diversity and representation, and these attacks are indicative of ways that systems of white supremacy and institutional racism are ingrained into American society. We want to encourage our non-Asian listeners to seek resources to better educate themselves on the complexities of the issue. You can follow Instagram accounts such as Stop AAPI Hate, Red Canary Song, and Advancing underscore Justice underscore ATL to find out how to actively support and stand in solidarity with the Asian community at this time. For Asian listeners in need of emotional support, you can also follow Asian Mental Health Collective on Instagram for resources on how to seek help. As media critics, we look to see how certain stereotypes perpetuated by movies and television can influence negative perception of minority groups. That is why we always strive to highlight positive representation in media, in front of and behind the camera. Today particularly, we'd like to celebrate the success of the incomparable Chloe Zhao, and we are happy to be talking about how she and her new film Nomadland are breaking barriers in Hollywood. Nomadland was written and directed by Chloe Zhao that tells the story of Fern, a woman whose entire life was essentially uprooted due to the Great Recession of the 2000s. Alone and sleeping in her van, Fern travels to the American West Coast to live an unburdened life. Along the way, she interacts with several other American nomads and they share stories with one another. The film is based off a book by Jessica Bruder, also titled Nomadland, which is a nonfiction book about the phenomenon of older people picking up their lives, and traveling the country in the mid-2000s. Honestly, I did not know about this community until having seen this movie, and I find it fascinating knowing that this all existed without us knowing. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I also think it's pretty cool to see all the care that Chloe put into the film. Like, she and Frances actually lived in vans for four months of the production. Um, and that's kind of like something that she experienced to an extent while doing some of her other films. 
Frances had to put in real hours at the jobs that she takes on in the film. And Frances and the actor who played Dave were like the only professional actors in the film. So the nomads in the film were actually real life nomads who were playing just fictionalized versions of themselves. And that's also something that Chloe tends to do in her other works, like the writer or songs my brother taught me. Um, She likes to showcase real people and their experiences. So it's very documentary-like in a sense and pretty true to the stories that uh, Jessica Bruder had put and highlighted in her book. I really enjoyed the fact that it felt like a documentary. I almost felt like there was a moment when they thought about making it one but decided to go with this direction instead, and I'm very much happy that they ended up doing this. Mm-hmm. Having studied film, which I hate saying, <laughs> having studied film... <laughs> Going to film I, school. <laughs> I did go to film school. Um, I felt like I've become very familiar with the typical three-act structure of a movie, and it makes the experience somewhat predictable a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. But watching Nomadland was a very different experience from that. It was very character-driven, and I was invested in the characters' backgrounds and what they had to say. And this is my highest compliment I can possibly give. But at one point in the movie, I was like, I have to put my phone down because I really <laughs> want to pay attention to what's going on. So that's how much it had me. I do really like when a movie can not necessarily be plotless, but kind of, you know, like go with the flow, like just capturing moments in time or like moments in life. And I know it's not everyone's cup of tea and it could definitely come off as like too slow or boring. But I, I personally enjoy stories like that. It's usually beautiful or just interesting to watch when it's done well. And I think this particularly was a film where I was interested in the subject matter and wanting to know more about the people and the lives presented. And in addition to that, I thought it showcased some really great scenery. Like, I did feel like I was out in nature. Yeah. I was rocking heavy with the sound mix in Tudo. Like, <laughs> like being outside and walking on gravel and just everything that came with it. Like, that was so good. And I had my headphones in and I, I felt like I was at the cinema. This was like the closest I have felt to being in a movie theater, watching a movie alone during quarantine. <laughs> I think it's because my watching habits have become a little trash over quarantine. <laughs> there are a lot of formulaic, a lot of reality shows. So Nomadland was so refreshing because it felt so different and like it wasn't just about getting from point A to point B. Mm-hmm. It felt unscripted and it felt like I was actually just witnessing a little slice of life, kind of seeing people going from their day to days rather than, you know, beginning, middle and end. Mm-hmm. And it kind of is the example I would come to if I was describing a character driven story to someone. And what's even better is that none of the characters really felt like archetypes and none of the storylines seemed typical to what we've seen before. Um, I use the example of her relationship with Dave because I think a more traditional movie would probably awkwardly pair them together as a couple because there were moments of that. But I think the movie was more intent on showing a genuine, complex, platonic relationship. Mm -hmm. And the one scene in particular that I feel like best sort of exemplifies the experience watching this movie is when Dave breaks her plates. Mm -hmm. And it was such a small thing. Because they had only established with one line that these plates meant a lot to her. And then you have this scene where Dave and Fern are having this tension. He's being pushy and he's trying to help her, but we can read her body language. And we can tell that she's tense. And he goes and he picks up the box and the plates fall out and break. And even though it seems so small and insignificant, it's just a couple of old plates breaking. 
the plates breaking is something so small and trivial in the scheme of things, especially when we watch action movies where the world is at stake. Uh-huh. But I really felt the weight of those plates breaking because I could feel how much it meant to Fern. It meant the world to Fern. Right. And I think the best part of the movie was how well perspective was conveyed. And that goes for Fern and that goes for Bob and Swanky and Linda May and all the other characters. Yeah, I can definitely agree. And that part in particular was very cringy to watch. Like, I was like, oh, no. Yeah, we don't like Dave. <laughs> Dave's so thirsty. But um, <laughs> it was it was just something that was kind of simple. But it did have a lot of impact in terms of describing how the characters felt. And throughout, you do have these interesting points of perspective. And then you know, also having to work with real life individuals to tell their own stories. Like I'd imagine that it must be very tricky at times. Cause like definitely you would want them to feel empowered instead of exploited. And you would also want them to be, you know, compensated as well as they could be. Mm-hmm. And stories like these, you know, they can have a real big cultural impact. Like you never know. And that's something you kind of have to prepare for too. Like, for example, you have Catfish, which is a documentary, but, like, I still think it's relevant. But you have Catfish, yeah. and you have the woman's husband who, like, literally just coined a cultural phenomenon. Like, he's just telling a story about a catfish, and all of a sudden, now, years later, it's a literal dictionary term for, like, online deceit. Yeah. And you also have documentary like Paris is Burning that has become culturally important, But, you know, the main subjects of the film who have given their lives aren't really getting tangible benefits years down the road. So like with Nomadland, it's not a documentary, it's a narrative. And, you know, there are stricter, maybe clearer guidelines on how to navigate the production process. So I am just intrigued and I do want to know more um, about the steps that she took to be able to make everything in a very safe and ethical way, Um, because it is all so tricky but I did read that Swanky had said that she felt um, more love from Chloe and Fran than her own family. And I think that's like a really big compliment and a really great aspect um, about the film and everybody's working relationship. Yes. And honestly, I love Swanky, too. <laughs> I think Chloe Zhao very much represents a style of directing that's different from the typical image of, you know, a director in a chair with a beret and a megaphone and he's yelling <laughs> cut and reset. And she's more about allowing the actors to shape the story and working with them intimately to create their characters. Because Frances McDormand actually brought the character of Fern to Chloe. And then Chloe kind of worked with the idea and they fleshed it out together. So she didn't, you know, just come in with a script and hand it out to these nomads and make them do cold reads. She took the time to get to know them and figure out how they could bring truth to their characters and she went so far as to find specific nomads who were mentioned in Jessica Bruder's book in the first place. I think the way that she went about it was the best way in order to capture audiences and really get them to you know like pay attention. And it does kind of bring me to the other point that I was going to make about it being a story that isn't quite an adaptation, but something that uses the book as a starting point or like a reference point, but then it kind of takes on a life of its own. And I know when it comes to the conversation of adaptation, I know you can't exactly translate everything from a book into a film. (laughs) And I don't think that's what Chloe was trying to do anyways, regardless. But I do think on the other side of that, 
a lot of the important aspects in terms of class, labor, and a lot of the realities that the nomads face in something as simple as being, you know, a seasonal Amazon worker could have been explored just a bit more. Yeah. Especially since um, Amazon has been called upon many times to give workers, you know, adequate safety conditions, support, and compensation. Um, and while I disagree with some people that are calling it like an Amazon ad, um, <laughs> I feel like it would have added the, to the story to see many of the nomads' relationship with the jobs and not portrayed as neutral as it is in the film, because that's not everybody's story. Like, it is very yeah. hard and taxing work, and not everybody has, like, this, you know, neutral experience. Yeah, they were making it look like it was, like, a pretty easy job. <laughs> yeah, and um, Vulture had published an article highlighting some of, like, the major differences in the worker portrayals, um, like the book versus the film. And in the book, a lot of the elderly nomads, you know, had to deal with, like, getting hurt on the jobs. And in particular, Linda May pretty much calls Amazon slave labor. <laughs> um, and another camp force worker named Patty DePino talked about, like, just, like, her frustrations with, like, capitalism and, like, the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer. And after she died, her friends were like, oh, well, like, finally she's debt-free and she's, like, free of responsibilities. And that's just such a sad reality. Like, you can't have freedom until you die. Yeah, seriously. And I really did kind of just want to see the reality of that. And I, I can understand why Chloe may not have wanted to go after Amazon at the risk of, like, alienating a streaming platform or just in terms of funding in the future, etc. But, yeah, just to see some of those real-life working struggles that they face, especially as people who can't or can't necessarily unionize since it's, like, pick-up-and-go work— um, I feel like the viewers could have really saw the depth and realities of that and that I don't know how maybe if she did something like having them work in a nameless factory, not Amazon, but still show that maybe that could have. I don't know. I don't know how she would have went about it. But yeah, it seems very specific to show Amazon. Right. But then to not really do anything else with that does kind of raise some flags. Mm-hmm. Um, it felt very abrupt and. There was also another shot uh, of one of the nomads showing off a Confederate fl- uh, a Confederate flag tattoo mm-hmm. that also kind of had the same response for me, where I was like, "Oh," um, and there wasn't really like a condemnation from the director or any reaction from the other characters to say like, "Oh my gosh, that's bad. You shouldn't have that." Mm-hmm. But I don't really think that I needed Chloe Zhao to point out that it was bad. I think it was more about just contextualizing who these people are. Mm-hmm. And it's this gritty side of America that a lot of elites sort of choose not to acknowledge. And it's that really disenfranchised blue collar community that was drawn to Trump a few years later. And even though I don't see eye to eye with them on that, I did still see the validity of their desire to move out and have the freedom that they were seeking. And I imagine that losing everything in the Great Recession would make someone jaded enough to vote for a candidate who offers to destroy government as we know it, sort of. And it showcases how this area that we sort of wrote off as uneducated does possess a lot of wisdom. And the speech that really got to me emotionally was hearing Bob talk about why he says, see you down the road, in reference to the passing of a loved one, and how eventually we cross paths in life and in death. And it was so touching, especially just having experienced a loss of a loved one. It brought me a lot of comfort that I really haven't had since that 
since that loss. And then I'm like, where is, who is this random emotional genius in a van in Arizona? Like we would never sort of find these people unless we take the time to hear stories like this. Yeah, I really did enjoy that part. And it really does make you think about a lot of things. And it, the film doesn't necessarily even paint people as Trumpers or anything like that because not everyone was. And no. um, the nomads didn't necessarily mean that they had like a specific point of view or anything like that. Like we don't know what anybody actually believed or backed. Um, and to kind of serve to that point, Chloe did talk about how intentional she was about who she showcased and the story that she told. And, you know, regardless of it being seen as a story, not about her own race or culture, um, she still just wanted to emphasize that it was supposed to be a depoliticized story. In her quote, she had said that she focused on the human experience and things that she felt went beyond political statements, such as like the loss of a loved one, search for home. And she said that she kept thinking about her family back in China, like how would they feel about a cowboy in South Dakota or like a woman in her 60s in America? Like she said, if she made it too specific, if there were any issues, um, would that create a barrier, essentially? Like, would they go, oh, well, that's not my problem. And... I think it is pretty interesting because like even though it's a story about the human experience it does deal with subjects like people being pushed into the nomad life because of the great recession and I in my personal like opinion I feel like that is like a perfect example of a politicized situation um that doesn't make it bad that doesn't make it pointed um but I don't think it takes away from seeing it as like just a snapshot of someone's life it's just reality like something being political isn't necessarily taking a stance it's just kind of showcasing how we deal with confront view talk about like the various things and human experiences um so like part of this film the impact of it is going to be well how can we make it so that people don't have to you know economically be forced into this life and that's like a political question i feel but that's just me yeah and i think it's interesting that we're talking about this movie from a context of diversity and now kind of getting into the politics because we have chloe who is a woman of color directing and she's achieving so many milestones with this film and it does have this represent reputation of being a, like a trailblazer kind of film but the story is exclusively almost exclusively white and in many ways, it still felt like the movie was successfully conveying an underrepresented group. And it did have an excellent older female character as the lead, which is still outside of what we're used to. Mm-hmm. But I think what made it feel different and what made it feel like sort of a story that, as you've described before, has been othered. I think it was the fact that the movie felt so free of the male gaze, which is funny because the last movie that we talked about was full of the male gaze. Yeah, I can agree. And also there is that point of ageism in Hollywood where, you know, it comes to telling the stories of older women, highlighting their experiences in a way that's not like condemning them for getting older or like devaluing them for not being youthful, just like them existing. So it is nice to see a narrative that highlights a story that's not her being like a mom or an auntie, but just like her experience. A lot of older women are sort of forced into those kind of roles. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the topic of race, I do think 
it's interesting that compared to Chloe's previous work, Songs My Brother Taught Me and The Writer, where she highlighted indigenous cultures, that this is the one that has now become sort of her tour de force that's going to be nominated for ST, Best Picture ST. and potentially even win. That's T. Um, you know, what does it say necessarily about the awards if it's the all-white film that's the one that gets the nominations rather than the ones about indigenous cultures, which, yes, were received well, but not with the same sort of circumstance as this one. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to say that as a means of invalidating this movie, mm-hmm. because if Chloe felt that she wanted to tell this story, um, she's clearly shown that she isn't exclusively telling white stories. And I also don't know if it would be inaccurate to represent this particular nomadic group as racially diverse if it's not racially diverse. So maybe she was just trying to be true to what she knew. Mm-hmm. And also, not to spoil the episode, but the Inclubi score is still pretty high for this movie. I'm just kind of bringing up these points because I think we should never really stop asking the question, how can this be better with diversity? Because mm-hmm. once we stop asking that, then I think the quality will ultimately just plateau in films if they feel like it's done and that they've reached a point where everyone should be content. Hopefully in the future of film, we can definitely have more of these diverse stories and, you know, these conversations talking about it as well. Now we've gotten to the segment of our podcast where we're going to score the movie. We're each going to give our own scores based on a five-star system. One score will judge the cinematic quality of the movie, while the other, in Kluby's score, will judge the quality of the representation in the film. Overall, I would give Nomadland a cinema score of four and a half stars. I think Chloe Zhao's ability to tell an authentic story is honestly unmatched from what I've seen so far. And the film was a slow burn, which I really love, and had just such emotional dialogue that at one point genuinely did bring me to tears. And I think that's thanks in no small part to the performances by the actors and the real-life members of the nomadic community. And, of course, as you mentioned, the quality of the cinematography and the visuals and the sound mixing were all stunning. Mm-hmm. The Inclubi score for me, I would say four stars. Because although the overall cast lacked diversity, there was diversity behind the camera and strong representation of older women. <laughs> for me, I'd I'd give the film four stars. I really enjoyed it, and it really did make me empathize with a lot of different people's perspectives. Um, I think it was well made. I think it was a really solid watch. I'd watch it again. I would recommend it, um, especially having it open to other discussions. Like I would love to have other discussions about the film because I had like so many raised questions in my head. And um, in terms of diversity, I'd say I'd give it an Incluvi score of four stars as well. Um, again, it was an all-white affair child, but um, <laughs> I, I, it did support that idea of, you know, letting older women center their experiences and stories on screen. So, so I think that is a fair assessment. Um, but while we're on the topic of Chloe Zhao, I do kind of want to bring up the fact that her next project following her sort of piece de resistance, my second French word of the day, oh my God. is going to be... <laughs> that she's doing the next MCU film, The Eternals. And I genuinely do not know, based off of this movie and her previous works, what to expect 
from her in a sci-fi comic book film in an already established cinematic universe. Mm -hmm. Because it's really the opposite of the realism and nonfiction-like story elements that she uses. Um, So I'm like nervous, but I'm excited because I love to see Marvel diversifying their directing pool with more women and people of color and diversifying in terms of directing style. Mm -hmm. So, you know, maybe after having so many movies that are similar and have, you know, high octane thrilling fights, Chloe Zhao can bring in a superhero movie that's more character driven and maybe more of a slow burn. I don't know if people want slow burn superhero movies, but I do. (laughs) And I hope that's the case. And it's not just Chloe Zhao kind of being forced to stick within a certain formula or not being able to make the full creative decisions that she wants to make. Mm-hmm. And we've definitely seen that happen before where directors who are more visionary crash clash <laughs> with big budget studios. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously the entire reason that we have a Snyder cut out right now was because fans had such a high demand to see a director complete their creative vision without interference. And Honestly, I don't know anything about the Eternals, so Chloe is really the selling point of the film. So I want to see her style, and I don't want it to just be them using her name and then watering it down. Mm-hmm. I'm actually really excited for it um, because mm-hmm. it is supposed to be like a sci-fi western type beat, you know. And mm-hmm. I think even though you know realism is like one of her recurring themes, but also like the West is, and like you said, character-driven narratives are so like that's her core and i'm really excited to see that in like a marvel film for like a superhero character um and i think she'd be like the perfect person for the job like genre or thematic variety in superhero films is what's pretty much gonna keep the era alive so i think she's gonna bop with this one i don't know i'm like i'm excited The Incluvi Movie Podcast is hosted by Dara Eleazar and me, Matthew Stiuso. Our show is produced and edited by Hazel Bolivar. Our executive producer is Kathy Yee, and our theme music is made by Waterboy. You can visit Incluvi.com to rate movies on their diversity and read reviews focused on representation in media. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Incluvi, that's I-N-C-L-U-V-I-E. 